Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're headed into peak agriculture season in Florida. That includes tomatoes and strawberries grown in Hillsborough County and oranges in Polk County. And farm laborers will pick the bulk of those crops. Most of them are migrants from Mexico, Central America, and Haiti. The COVID-19 pandemic has made work complicated for everyone, and farm workers are no exception. So to learn more about how the coronavirus is affecting Florida's agricultural sector, we travel to Immokalee, about two hours south of Tampa Bay. Immokalee is a town with few resources. There's no hospital, and workers often live in close quarters. Farm labor advocates have complained about these conditions for years, but with the COVID-19 pandemic, calls for change have led to new urgency. You're going to hear two perspectives on today's show about what's being done to protect the health of farm workers. First, I spoke via Zoom with Kelly Morgan. He's director of the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center, which is part of the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. The center has developed a COVID safety training program for farm workers. Well, Kelly, starting off, I know uh, I know IFAS and and the uh, the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center is it's not per se a, a healthcare organization, but this you know this pandemic has touched every part of uh, of our lives. And I'm curious, what what sort of work have you been doing uh, to help the farmers in Southwest Florida and and most crucially the workers? get through this this pandemic in a, in a safe manner? Well, our economist has been leading a, a series of farm worker trainings for a number of years. And so what we did this year, starting uh, you know, right after uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, started up in, in probably March or April, we, we shifted from just pure uh, safety uh, how to how to be safe in the in the fields and and so forth. We we've, we've put almost all of our effort into COVID nineteen, and we've uh, we've had a series of online trainings, both with the uh, the farm workers themselves and the uh, supervisor, the ones out in the field uh, supervising them, and the um, company managers themselves. So. We've, we've had it on several different levels. Typically have the, the trainings in, in Spanish and Creole, you know, to capture all of, uh, all of the workers. So it's, it's gone extremely well. We've trained several hundred. I think the first six or seven trainings, we had over 800 people uh, in the, those trainings. So that's gone over very well. We've expanded that out a bit to cover additional uh, health-related issues. We're also cooperating with uh, Florida Department of Agriculture. They've set up some uh, COVID testing sites uh, in the area, and we're working with them to to get the workers trained, or excuse me, uh, tested. So let's talk about those trainings a little bit. What what exactly are are workers uh, learning in those? Initially, just the general health. You know, what is COVID? What you know, why why be concerned about it? Uh, what are the precautions that should be taken? Masking, hand sanitation, social distancing, all of those things. 
what the symptoms are in case they come down with something and how they will be uh, traced if someone does become positive and uh, that they will be traced by the work, by the company that they work for to see that they are protected as well. So you said about 800 went through the training initially. Do you have a sense of, as of right now, how many workers have, have gone through the training? I don't know the total number. The 800 were in our first uh, six or eight trainings. One training had 250 people registered. That's one of the advantages of, of doing things remotely, that you can have a large number listening to the information at one time. This is all done on Zoom. So as long as they have access to computers, they can participate in the meetings. And not only workers in Florida were taking advantage of this, but we we had people from all over the country and, and even some international folks uh, on the on the training. What's been the biggest challenge in offering these trainings, just in terms of either rolling it out to as many farm workers as possible or making sure that the information sticks and that farm workers are, are using what they learn? Probably the biggest limitation would be access to computers you know, so that they can take the training. I know the different companies have had group meetings where the workers could could attend the training, and that would uh, would be reflected in our numbers. You know, if we only have one location, but there could be many people in there, we're probably addressing many more workers than the numbers I gave previously. So, how do you see the this training uh, evolving as uh, as the pandemic evolves, and we seem to be perhaps reaching the end of it, possibly with uh, with the arrival of vaccines? We will be encouraging the, that they take the vaccines. We have already started phasing back into our, our previous trainings of, of worker safety and general health and, and HR issues. So we're, we're coming out of the, the push to train, train the workers on how to prevent the disease. We'll, be, we'll continue that, of course. And I might mention, uh, we, we've also had trainings by companies themselves where they they wanted their own training uh, for their people, and we've been doing that on a regular basis as well. And those those sessions will continue. All right, uh, Kelly, I think that's it for my questions. Is there anything anything you want to add? Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that uh, that you'd like to talk about? We are going to continue these virtual meetings. We all of our extension meetings uh, have gone virtual. The growers, uh, we, we have a, a number of meetings for, for various uh, grower-related issues you know, on, on how to produce crops, you know, how to, the, the, the latest information on you know, insect management, nutrition, and those kinds of things. All of those have gone uh, virtual. We will continue that until we see uh, that the, the vaccines have taken hold and, and it's safe to have large grower meetings, large in-person meetings. And these uh, COVID meetings will be the same. You know, once we can safely talk to the, the workers directly, we intend to do that. Well, uh, thanks again for, uh, for uh, joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Kelly Morgan is director of the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center, part of the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. Coming up, we'll hear from a farm worker activist. This is Florida Matters.
You're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. For over 30 years, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers has fought for the rights of migrant farm workers in southwest Florida. Years of activism and pressure campaigns led to an agreement that covers about 30,000 workers, and it's supported by major companies like Walmart and McDonald's. Gerardo Reyes Chavez says the contract has been key to protecting many farm laborers from COVID, but he says there's more to be done. Chavez was once a farm worker himself, and he's now one of the coalition leaders. We spoke via Zoom. What sort of uh, efforts has your group taken to protect farm workers in, uh, in Florida from uh, catching or, or spreading uh, COVID-19? Well, we have been um, organizing since the beginning of the pandemic uh, and started to try to talk to the uh, Department of Health, uh, State Department of Health and the Collier County Department of Health. And then started to talk to the governor, um, not directly. We had to start with a campaign asking for things that were necessary for the community, like um, tests being made available and plan to be able to do the contact tracing and a plan for providing the resources. And we so far have only get to have the, the testing going on uh, right now, which is good and it increased uh, lately, but uh, more efforts are needed. In that context is in which we have been organizing a lot uh, to inform the community through our community radio station uh, called Radio Conciencia. And we have also been uh, visiting people at their homes, uh, obviously social distancing, bringing information about how to prevent, uh, you know, the the, uh, spread of COVID. But it's been difficult because, as you know, farm workers are consider essential workers. So there's no, for example, staying at home in our recommendations and and orders that were given by the government uh, make no sense when you have the task to uh, feed the country with with your work, with your sweat, and um, much more less when you don't have the necessary protections, especially, you know, when we're talking about people that work in industries that are not paying attention to to common sense and and to science also, uh, or sometimes let things be politicized instead of uh, focusing on what's uh, at stake here, which is the health of workers in general, different industries, especially uh, when we're talking about workers outside of the fair food program. Because inside of the program, there are provisions that are, are being implemented, there are protocols that were created, and there's been efforts that along with us and the Department of Health, the fire department, uh, have been uh, taking place here in our community. The Fair Food Program is formed by participating growers, participating corporations, and the workers and the coalition of locally workers that work uh, in those farms. 14 of the largest corporations uh, have committed to legally binding agreements to buy from farms. And in that collaboration is that the protocols to protecting workers have been created. There's no other place in the country where this is happening. And, and that's what's uh, really uh, worrisome for us in regards to communities of farm workers across the country and here in Florida, because there's also growers that are not part of any, any of these, uh, that are not taking the steps that are necessary. And in some instances, even going against the logic of, of science and, and challenging the usage of masks and, and making fun of, of workers. What we are doing is, uh, as I said, trying to 
uh, create what makes the most sense through the collaboration that exists, uh, given that we have the Fair Food Program as a, an incredible uh, and unique resource for workers uh, that's covering about 30,000 uh, workers, according to the numbers that have been given to us by the Florida Tomato Growers Exchange. Is there enough testing of farm workers for COVID? Is there enough PPE? Uh, have there been issues around either of those things in terms of testing or getting protective equipment to workers to make sure that they're not potentially uh, spreading COVID amongst themselves? There has been moments in which companies were trying to get that. And you probably remember that there was a time in which uh, there was a shortage. It, it was really hard for anyone to get, for example, the face masks. Since the beginning, uh, we as an organization have been working for several months with a group of members of the community uh, that are part of the women's group, some of them. And they were working on that to create masks. So they were producing uh, a lot, given their capacity, uh, it was not enough. So we have been also collecting some of those donations or buying them for the community and bringing information when we go visit uh, the mobile home trailer parks. Uh, and we brought a mask for, for its distribution along with information. But more needs to happen here because workers, when, when you just follow, you know, the, the ordinance, stay at home order, which was an order from the governor, and then the social distancing, uh, those two things make sense if you are not a farmer or if you don't work in a place in which you are overcrowded, or if you are not transported in buses that are carrying 40 workers uh, in any given day to the field and back, none of those things make sense, especially when you're not receiving any economic support in the case of uh, most of the workers in the fields. We have this patchwork response to the virus where Florida does one thing, Georgia does something else, other states do their own thing. And even in Florida, there's differences in the response among counties and cities. So it sounds to me like you're, you really want a more coordinated, centralized plan for farm workers of all kinds, not just the ones who, who take part in your, in, your, uh, in your agreements. You want something that's that equitable mm -hmm. to any farm worker, no matter where it is they work. Exactly. And, and that has been our approach. And that has been always the way in which we operate, because uh, lots of people think that we are just uh, an organization of tomato pickers. And the reality is we have been fighting against abuses, whatever they happen. And the reality is also that workers that harvest tomatoes don't always harvest tomatoes, because there's sometimes in which the the job, the work is, is slow, the season is, is dropping. So people look for other jobs. Uh, if they have like three days a week, uh, people look for other jobs and sometimes they go to construction, to landscaping. Uh, so, so a farm worker is not exclusively a farm worker. And the issue is that Imokali as a community is not regarded in the same way as other communities have. The approach that, that we have seen it's also different from other cities like Naples. As, as you talk to farm workers there in Immokalee, what are their, what are their concerns about COVID? What are their, what are their fears? What do they, what do they want to happen now as we head into a new uh, growing season? Yeah. Well, every, everyone is worried about it, obviously, because you don't want to go to work and then come back home and expose your family. If the case is that you have your family here, 
there's many workers that are uh, here on their H2A visas, which uh, are in a visas for, for the duration of the season. Um, and they live um, in trailers, mobile homes, and they live with six, eight other guys, depending on, on where you are working, right? But um, for them, it, it makes no sense because when we talk about, oh, we, we should observe the social distancing, right? Because we all, we talk about the importance of it to be able to uh, minimize exposure uh, so that they can continue to work and, and uh, go back uh, whenever the season is over. When they go back, they are, are safe. They, are, they, they have been learning how to uh, protect themselves. But again, it doesn't make sense when you talk to them because what they will tell you or ask you like, but how do I do that? If I am going to work with everybody else shoulder to shoulder, in, in, in these farms. Not every farm has the capacity to provide extra transportation. Uh, and outside the program, nobody is really doing any of that. Inside the program, there's companies that have on, on purpose, like figure out how to try to minimize the impact, but, but still, you know, there are things that cannot change. And, and the job uh, in the fields and the, the living conditions um, makes it really hard for people if they come back with a positive test uh, for them to isolate. And what I forgot to mention, there was only one person in the entire nine months since this started to hit in Mokali that was offered and given a place to isolate. So just one person we, among the 30,000 or so farm workers that your group exactly, represents. Exactly, exactly. And, and not everyone that got sick got tested. So you know that there's more than the number that has been reported. So in this case, you know, math never lies. If you are a family and you have kids that depend on your income, or even if you are alone, but you have to pay rent and you are sending your money to your family when you're working in the fields, you are not going to want to know um, because there's, not a plan for you to be able to sustain yourself. You cannot leave communities that are so vulnerable up to their own devices because what is it that they have um, whenever this happens? Uh, and, and with this, you know, I'm talking about workers that are outside of the Fair Food program. In the program, they have plans, there are protocols, uh, but still, you know, more needs to be done and resources should be made available for those workers. And it, they should be also uh, part of a plan along with the growers that are trying to do the best they can with what they have. Does the pandemic make it harder for farm workers to get um, health care for other needs that they may have? Uh, say they might have some kind of chronic illness or something. Uh, but maybe they're not able to get to see a doctor or go to a clinic because so many health professionals are are tied up dealing with the surge in COVID cases right now. Yeah, it, it has always been an issue. We don't have a hospital here. We have a clinic, and I mean that it is not equipped for something like this. Um, there's no ICU, uh, so yeah, they can conduct testing, they can do different things, but they are not going to be able to respond. We as workers, for the most part, don't have uh, transportation. So you depend on your boss. And if your boss is a non-believer, which we have seen, you know, there, there are 
uh, growers that are outside of the program, as I was saying, they don't believe in COVID. They have come out openly to say that it is a Chinese hoax uh, and different things that, that make no sense. If that's the reality for you as a worker, then you are going to have a really, really hard time being able to get the support of a grower like that to be able to go to the hospital because you will need a ride. You still depend on that. And, you know, there's no, there's public transportation, but it takes like three hours to get from here to Naples um, in, in the, the Collier Transportation Authority or CAT El Gato, as people identify it. And, and, and you know, it's risky because you're sitting there and, and, and other people are also uh, traveling there and, not everyone is uh, necessarily always like wearing their mask pro- appropriately. Um, so, so yeah, there's always that risk in, in public transport and, and people tend to not go. In general, people, people in Imokali tend not to go to the hospital, not to go to the doctor unless you are absolutely ill for any reason, you know, in, in general. And, and now with COVID, it's, uh, it's the same thing uh, in many instances. So we have a, a new presidential administration uh, coming, to, uh, coming to power in, in, in just a few weeks' time. What would you like to see the Biden administration uh, do in terms of, of uh, helping farm workers, not just with pandemic-related uh, issues, but, but just more in general, what would you like to see from a Biden administration in terms of, of, uh, of help and assistance for, for farm workers? Um, well, I would like to, to see something that has never happened in any administration, you know, that, that there is attention, really uh, real attention paid to those who make it possible for people that are recovering in hospital beds, uh, for doctors who are uh, doing their best in a, in a really weak approach, you know, because of, of how this was politicized. Um, what I want to see from this administration is that, yeah, workers are, are, are cared for um, with the resources that they should have. Um, because, you know, we, during the winter months from uh, November to May, we produce about 90% of the fresh tomatoes that are harvested in U.S. soil. So nine out of 10 tomatoes that people consume in Northern states, especially now in the winter, come from us. So that alone should be enough reason to make sure that this community is not risking more than what they have to. So in order for that to happen, uh, for people not to have to choose between, do I go hungry? While I deal with COVID, like, is that, a, is that a reasonable idea? Of course it's not. It's ridiculous. Nobody can do that. So, so in this scenario, we are putting people at risk when what we should be doing instead of, you know, instead of uh, expecting workers that, uh, to do whatever it is that, that we are supposed to or expected to do to feed the rest of the country, uh, we should receive the resources. If there are cases of people that come back positive, um, it's better to be able to contain the spread by providing the resources, economic resources for people and the space 
for isolation so that we can minimize the impact for the rest of the community. That's what we should be doing. And, and uh, what I expect uh, or hope uh, from this new administration is that, uh, that they pay attention to the workers. We deserve uh, to be treated not just as essential in regards to what we do, and then besides that, nothing. We should be treated as essential workers fully, which means taking into account, given the resources and being protected, because that is only fair. If we feed the nation, we also need to be able to have that kind of backup. All right, uh, Gerardo, I think that's it for my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Oh, I would like to, to thank you for inviting us. And, and I, I would, I mean, I would just like to, to say something to, to the audience, you know? I think that um, all of these uh, has challenged us all in huge ways. And, and there's an immense amount of loss uh, in our communities all over the country. So, so we're not uh, special in that regard, but most of the losses uh, or, 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 or most of the suffering happened to people that have already been in that position even before the pandemic. And with the pandemic, everything has exacerbated uh, more and more. And for people, it's easy to forget that when they sit at the table and, and eat with their family, if they have the, the fortune to be able to you know, take care of them personally, sit at the table, it's very easy, and, and look at the food that is there without having to think about the fact that there are families, just like your family, that are suffering to make that food possible, that are, you know, in desperate need of very basic stuff to be able to uh, weather uh, the, the days of isolation. They cannot isolate in a mobile home if they live with other people in really close quarters. So pretty much is like a sentence. If somebody gets sick, everybody else is gonna get sick. So I'll just say, you know, to, to to the people, to consumers in general, I think it's time to touch our hearts and recognize that we're falling short because this also falls on all of us. And I would invite people if they want to know more in, uh, in regards to COVID-19, um, well, go to our website, Immokali, um, uh, it rhymes with broccoli. Um, just just uh, look for it, Immokali uh, COVID-19, no hyphen.org. When this pandemic started, we were basically on the the last uh, part of the season, um, which ended in May and June for some companies. But now we're entering into the season full swing and that represents a huge challenge. So we cannot do this alone. We're gonna do our best, but we know that there are so many things that uh, need to happen so that the forces that are not moving in the direction of the workers to make sure that they are safe uh, move because otherwise we are just going to see how the numbers are going to spike um, and that, that there's no reason for us to let that happen and I would also add we need a hospital you know this is a moment that has has uh, teach us uh, how weak uh, all the health system is in regards to farm workers here in our community but everywhere in the country well, uh, Gerardo, thanks so much for joining us today. Take care, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be back in touch with you at some point and to check in on things and see how things are going. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. That was Gerardo Reyes Chavez of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. And that's our show for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters, and I hope you'll join us again next week.